So our Bible reading this morning is from Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 to 19. I hope you'll follow me in your Bibles as we go. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will certainly not die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God knowing good and evil. When the woman saw the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and the woman heard the voice of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. And he said, Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all animals. And you will crawl on your belly, and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. To the woman he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. To Adam he said, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you. And you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground. Since from it, you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray first. Uh, Father, thank you for your precious word. Uh, fill our hearts and minds and wills this morning with great truths. Comfort us, encourage us, spur us on. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. 
Uh, G.K. Chesterton said this, whatever else is true of man, it is certainly true that man is not what he was meant to be. Not what we were meant to be. We are not the human beings that God created us to be. And that is so true. Uh, There's so much beauty. Uh, The beauty of a random act of kindness or a, a loving hug or care or selflessness or forgiveness. That is beautiful. And there's so much brilliance in humanity. Medical science architectural genius, musical competition, you go, wow, the human mind is brilliant. There is beauty, there is brilliance, and yet there is so much brokenness. So much brokenness. Just watch the news any night of the week. You see poverty, famine, racism, terrorism, sexism, abuse, oppression, murder, hatred, war, paedophilia, theft, COVID, debilitating diseases, and we think, how could human beings treat each other like this? It is inhumane. But the brokenness isn't just out there. The brokenness is in here and all around us. As a pastor, I have the privilege of feeling other people's brokenness. Uh, The the heartache caused by a spouse who betrays or belittles, the pain of sickness and suffering that often seems unfair, Uh, the words other people speak that are so vicious and so hurtful that they they wound so deeply, Uh, abuse of all kinds, emotional, physical, spiritual, sexual, You see pain, you see suffering, you see sadness, isolation, loneliness, feelings of worthlessness and emptiness. Our world, our humanity, we are so broken. That's our sermon today, the broken image. We're not what we were meant to be. Now, now when something is broken, our gut reaction is that we can fix this. So let's pour billions of dollars into educational reforms and medical science and technological breakthroughs or therapy or rehabilitation, but it doesn't work. If anything, our society is unraveling. We're becoming more broken, more lonely, more poverty, more abuse, more hatred. So why are we so broken? That's our question today. Why are we so broken? Uh, Back in Genesis 1 and 2, uh, we saw that God created us male and female. We were the masterpiece, the apex of his creation. We were created with dignity and value and worth. And we saw we were created in the image of God, so we we are rational beings with a mind and with morality. We're here to be responsible, to care for creation, to be representatives of God in this world and to be relational beings. It was wonderful, created by God in the image of God for the glory of God. And they all lived happily ever after. Well, not exactly. Turn in your Bibles to Genesis 3. It's such an important chapter. And today I want to take us into the emergency room, the ER. Just two points. Here's my first point. Broken image, explained and experienced. Broken image, explained and experienced. The explanation comes in the very first verse. Genesis 3, verse 1. Now the serpent 
was more crafty than any of the wild animals. According to Revelation chapter 12, the serpent is the devil. So the devil appears and he goes for the jugular. He's out to disrupt and distort and destroy God's creation. And his method is simply, he just deceives. He is the great deceiver. Verse 1, the devil said to the woman, did God really say? That's that's the very first question in the whole Bible. Did God really say? And he's planting that seed of doubt. He's questioning what God says, and nothing has changed today. Satan still does that. He, He whispers, is that what God really says? Is that true? He loves us to doubt God's word and distort it. He said to the woman, did God really say you mustn't eat from any tree in the garden? That is not true. Back in Genesis 2, God had said you could eat from any tree in the garden. He was so bountiful. It's so positive. His heart is to bless humanity. He gave one restriction, one restraint. But the devil loves to pounce on that one restraint and turn all the positives into one negative. Focus on the one thing you can't do. And again, as human beings, we're good at that. We ignore all the good things and all the blessings, and let's just focus on the one thing that we can't do. And the devil makes us doubt God's goodness. He's kind of saying, would a good God, a God of love, really keep something from you? Maybe God doesn't care for you. Maybe this God is too strict and too controlling, denying the real you. A loving God would just want you to be happy. Ever heard that before? It struck me this week, the the serpent doesn't appear as demonic or evil like the cartoons. He is so seductive. He's the voice of reason, the voice of progressiveness, the voice of care and kindness. And evil has the amazing capacity to still do that in your life. So seductive, so tempting. In verse 2, the, the woman engages in dialogue. That's her first mistake. She, she gives the devil a foothold. And she too distorts God's words. She adds a few words. You mustn't touch it, she says, verse 2. God never said that. But again, as human beings, as broken human beings, we, we distort God's word. We, we add bits. We misquote bits. We take things out of context to suit our own desires. Come to verse 4. You will not certainly die, the serpent says to the woman. Uh, Now the devil is speaking with an authority that's not his. And not just doubting God's word, he's, he's plainly denying it. He's saying, that is not true. God cannot be trusted. God is scaring you. He's kind of saying, surely the whole world won't suffer because of this one act. God is stopping you from reaching your potential. Maybe that prohibition was just cultural. We've moved on now. Ever heard that? Can I say, church, the devil is is real and he's still at work today, deceiving you, tempting you to doubt God's goodness and deny God's word. What's wrong with humanity? We listen to the lies of the devil about who we are. Friends, you ignore the spiritual realm to your own peril. In verse 6, we move from doubt to disobedience. That's the core of brokenness. We disobey God. 
Verse 6, when the woman saw the fruit of the tree was good for food, pleasing to the eye and desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and she ate it. And she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Do you see how the, the emotions are stirred? It, it's pleasant to the eye. It looked good. It's seductive. It's dazzling. The intellect is appealed to. She wants wisdom. Now, wisdom's a good thing. But there are th- some things that we don't need to know. God decides what we need to know. But she took it, ate it, gave it to her husband, he ate it. It's been claimed that Genesis 3 verse 6 is the the darkest day in human history, the turning point of human history. Because this is the day when a virus entered the bloodstream of every human being. Not just casual contacts or close contacts. I'm not talking about COVID. I'm talking about sin. The sin virus that impacts every human being the whole of history. Listen to Romans 5, verse 12. Sin entered the world through one man, Adam, and death through sin. And in this way, death came to all people because all sinned. Romans 5, verse 19. Through the disobedience of the one man, Adam, the many were made sinners. I know we don't like talking about sin. It's kind of an old-fashioned word, a nasty word. We now talk about messing up or stuffing up or personal baggage. We don't like talking about sin because I do wonder deep down whether we really, really believe that we're all sinners. And you might be saying, Paul, I don't want to be told I'm a sinner. I want to be told that I'm, I'm beautiful and wonderful and I have great value. You do have all those things. You are beautiful and wonderful and great value, but you're still a sinner. You've got to understand that every human being is a sinner. We're not sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. I'll say that again. We're not sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. We have this inbuilt sin nature. Psalm 51. Surely I was sinful from the time my mother conceived me. That is true. You don't have to teach a baby to tell lies or to be selfish or to have temper tantrums. It just comes naturally. It's Psalm 14, quoted in Romans 3. No one is righteous, not even one. And I know that we like to think we're inherently good. And there's lots of goodness in every one of us. But we're all marred by sin. To quote the Bible, we are totally depraved. Now, I'm not saying that we're as bad as we could be. I'm not saying we are worthless. I'm saying that every part of our being is marred by sin. Our minds, our mouths, our hearts, our consciences, our wills. And we're incapable. You can't sort out this mess yourself. The Bible doesn't say, pull up your socks or turn over a new leaf. The Bible says, you must be born again. Because you're not just sick with sin, you are dead in your sins. In, in 1910, the newspaper, The Times in London, ran a competition, What is Wrong with the World? And the winning entry was also the shortest. It said this, Dear Sirs, I am your sincerely G.K. Chesterton. What's wrong with humanity? I am, and you are, and we are, because there's a dark side to every one of us, 
God's perfect image has been broken, marred and distorted by sin. It's a bit like when you look in a mirror. If a mirror is cracked slightly, the image is distorted slightly. Or if you've seen a beautiful calm lake on a sunny day and a perfect reflection of a beautiful mountain, it is stunning. But then someone skims a stone and you get that ripple effect and everything is distorted slightly. That's the impact of sin and you see it immediately in Genesis 3. Verse 7, there is shame. The eyes of both the man and the woman were open and they realized they were naked. Before sin, they were naked and felt no shame. Now they are self-conscious, thinking about their self, being conscious of their, of their bodies. And it's pathetic they sew fig leaves together, trying to cover up their shame by a fig leaf. Again, we do that all the time cover up our shame by getting a better education or doing some good works or playing a comparison game. They're just fig leaf solutions. I love verse 8. The man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. That's what it was meant to be like. God walking closely with his creation, intimately, at ease. But this day, it was different, forever different, because they hid from the Lord God. Isn't that pathetic, trying to hide from God as though God can't see you? It's absurd. It's ridiculous. They hid from God. But the Lord God called, verse 9, where are you? That's not a geographical question. That's a spiritual question. Where are you now that you've disobeyed me? And where is he? Verse 10, he's living in fear. I was afraid, he says. Fear of God, fear of others, fear of self. That's a great picture of our brokenness. Living in fear, gripped by fear. Fear of God, fear of others, fear of self. Verse 11, God says, Who told you you were, you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of, that I commanded you not to eat from? Uh, please don't read verse 11 as, as an angry God. It's, it's a tender God. God is tenderly encouraging Adam to confess, to admit, to acknowledge wrong. But there is no, no confession. We shift from shame to blame. Verse 12, the man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some and I ate it. It's her fault. She made me do it. Verse 13, the woman said, the serpent deceived me. I ate it. It's his fault. Now that's broken humanity right there, playing the blame game. We're good at that, aren't we? Blame our upbringing, our parents, our education, our environment, our government, our friends. Blame anybody but ourselves. Uh, this week, our whole country has been screaming out to the, our prime minister, just say sorry. Just say sorry. But we can't and we don't. We just blame other people. And we blame God. Do you spot that in verse 12? The man said, the woman you put here with me. He's saying, God, you said it wasn't good for me to be alone. You created this woman. It's your fault, God. God, you should not have put me in that situation. God, you made me this way. God, it's your fault. Isn't that outrageous? 
Why are we broken? Because we are sinful, living in a sinful, messed up world. That's my experience, and I believe that's your experience too. Now, Every day I experience the, the cursed creation of verses 14 and 15, groaning, earthquakes, floods, and bushfires. Every day I experience the broken humanity. Verse 16, women experience pain in childbirth and this, this tug of war between the sexes, chauvinism and feminism, both are wrong, both are bad. Every day I experience verse 17, that, that work is a grind and it's toilsome. And verse 19, our bodies decay and deteriorate and then to dust we do return because we die. The perfect image of God is broken. You ever dropped your phone? You know that moment where it hits the ground and sometimes you pick up the phone and your screen is completely shattered and you go, oh, it is totally stuffed. But sometimes, you know, you pick up the phone that's just been dropped and there's a slight crack and you think, oh, it's fine. And you leave it and that crack gets bigger and bigger and bigger and it bifurcates and it spreads until nothing works anymore. That's like our lives. A cracked screen, a shattered screen. Let's be honest. As you look at humanity today, there's, there's inequality. Why should the rich get richer and the poor get poorer? Why should some people get degree after degree after PhDs and some people remain illiterate? That is inhumane. I think with a vaccine rollout, why is it that the developed world hoards vaccines and the underdeveloped worlds are crying out for them? That is inhumane. Lack of dignity. We write off whole groups of people, the elderly, disabled, intellectually impaired, the lower socioeconomic people, as though they're not worth anything. That is not true. We experience pain and panic, and we're gripped by fear, and we are so proud, we think we are wonderful. I could go on. Racism, classism, violence, abuse, intolerance, regret, boredom, playing God, hiding from God, we are broken. Please don't try and deny that. I love this quote by Donald Gray Barnhouse. Man stands before God today like a little boy who swears with crying tears that he has not been anywhere near the jam jar and with an air of outraged innocence pleads the justice of his position in total ignorance of the fact that a good spoonful of that jam has fallen just under his shirt, under his chin, and is plainly visible to everyone but himself. That's us, broken, full of shame, blame, and fear. But it doesn't end there. Let's go to the ER room. E is explained and experienced. R is restoration and renewal. Restoration and renewal. We're not what we're meant to be. We need to be remade and reborn and restored and renewed. Because the problem is sin and the solution is a saviour. 2,000 years ago, a child was born who, according to the Bible, was the perfect image the image of the invisible God, the perfect man, the perfect child, no sin, no shame, no blame. And if Adam, the first man, brought brokenness, then the Lord Jesus Christ, the second man, the last man, brings restoration. 
There are hints of God's Messiah in Genesis 3, that offspring of the woman who will crush the serpent's head. There are hints of it in Genesis 3 because, you know, God provided clothing for the man and the woman. They didn't deserve that. That's his mercy and grace. But to provide clothing, animals had to die. To get the animal skin, blood needed to be shed. The man and the woman deserved to die, but animals died in their place. Is that ringing any bells? You get hints of it in Genesis 3 because it's all about this tree, the tree of life. And yet the Lord Jesus Christ went to a tree of death. And Romans 5 explains this, this best. Romans 5 verse 18. Just as one trespass of Adam resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act of Jesus Christ resulted in justification and life for all people. For just as through the disobedience of one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, Jesus, many will be made righteous. That is the beauty of the gospel, that Jesus steps into the world to to save all people. We can all be saved. We can all be restored. We can all be renewed. Our brokenness does not define us if we're in Christ. I love to hear the stories of of the Alpha Course in prisons across the world and to hear stories of of murderers and rapists and paedophiles and drug dealers and thieves and criminals having their lives totally transformed by the gospel. And equally, I love to hear stories of the rich and the famous meeting Jesus and having their lives transformed. All people are sinners. All people need Jesus. That is the only hope. And it breaks my heart that we spend millions and billions of dollars on educational reforms and medical reforms, which are good and important. But the biggest need of the world is to hear the gospel. I want to make sure you understand these three things. We've been saved from the penalty of sin. We have been saved from the penalty of sin. Your debts have been paid. You've been set free. Past, present, Future, all your failings, all your sins have been paid for at Calvary. So if you're in Christ, you don't walk around hiding from God. You don't live in fear of God. You don't walk around racked by guilt because you have been set free. Number two, you've been, set, you've been saved from the presence of sin. You will be saved from the presence of sin. One day in the future... One day there'll be no sin, no sickness, no suffering, no depression, no disease, no abuse, no violence. But that's not now. That's the world to come. And that's why we pray, come Lord Jesus. But I think we get that. We know that we're saved from the penalty of sin. We know that we will be saved from the presence of sin. But I'm not sure we understand this. We are being saved from the power of sin. We are being saved from the power of sin as broken human beings in Christ. Sin has no power over you. You don't need to hide behind your fallenness. You can't use it as an excuse. The Spirit has come. And the Spirit of God, he longs to transform you and change you and renew you and restore you. In Jesus it's not just transactional forgiveness. 
It is transformational change. 2 Corinthians 3, verse 18 is a beautiful verse. 2 Corinthians 3, 18. We are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Friends, that's the work that God is doing and longs to do in your life. You're not defined by your brokenness anymore. You're not trapped in your sinfulness. You're not powerless to control your speech. You're not trapped. You can think differently. You can act differently. You can forgive. You can love. You can care. You can be selfish. You can be gracious. Why? Because you've got the Spirit of God in you. We're not perfect. We're not finished products. We are all works in progress, but we do have the power to change. He's called the Holy Spirit. Now read Romans 6. Do not let sin reign in us. Sin is not your master. So friends, don't listen to the whispering lies of Satan. You are not controlled by your lust or your lies or your pride or your impatience. You're not a slave to your sinful nature. You live by the Spirit today. And church, we need to hear this and believe this. You know, if some churches preach a wrong theology where they bring all the promises of heaven here to the earth, that is wrong. We won't be free from sin until the last day. Other churches, perhaps us, we kind of live in Genesis 3 land all the time. We, 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 we blame everything on our sinful nature. Every sadness, every sickness, every act of godlessness or subhuman behavior because we're marred by sin. I know that's true. But we're not in Genesis 3, just in Genesis 3. We, the Christ has come and the Spirit has come. The same power that raised Christ from the dead lives in you. You are no longer defined and shaped by your brokenness because the Spirit of God lives in you. Colossians 3, put to death what belongs to your earthly sinful nature. Say no to lust, greed, lying, hatred. You can do that by the power of the Holy Spirit. Verse 7, you used to walk in these ways in the lives you once lived, but now rid yourselves of anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language. Get rid of your brokenness. Don't lie to each other. Since you've taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge of the Creator. You are being renewed in the image of your Creator. You are being transformed to become more and more and more like Christ. Friends, you can change. You can be a better person. Your brokenness can be healed because God can change you. God longs to change you. God is changing you by the power of his Holy Spirit. You don't need to stay the way you are in your brokenness. Because Jesus longs to restore you and to renew you by his Holy Spirit. So friends, when sin flares up, put it to death. Hand it over to the Spirit. When you're tempted, say, get behind me, Satan. When your broken image speaks to you and says, this is who you are, say, no, 
That's not who I am in Christ. Spirit of God, change me, equip me, enable me. Do you believe you can change? Do you believe that you don't have to stay in your brokenness? You are being saved from the power of sin. And that's why church, this church community, should be different. It's beautiful. As men and women filled with the Holy Spirit, we're not defined by broken relationships, but by restored relationships. We model forgiveness, reconciliation, peace. We use our, our words to build each other up, not tear people down. When you look at the world, it is so broken. When you look at the church, you should get a glimpse of the power of God to restore that brokenness, to renew that brokenness. I, I know that we're broken images. I know that we're not who we were meant to be. But our God, he's in the business of restoration. Do you believe that? And to quote John Newton, I am not what I ought to be. I'm not what I want to be. I'm not what I hope to be in another world. But still, I am not what I once used to be. And by the grace of God, I am what I am. What's wrong with humanity? It's quite simple. We're broken by sin. But God in his mercy and his kindness and his grace, he longs to heal you, restore you, and to fix you. So let me pray. Father, thank you for your life-giving, life-transforming spirit. Father, we lay before you now those areas of our lives that are broken. And we invite you, Spirit of God, to bring healing, restoration, renewal. Fix our broken minds, fix our broken mouths, fix our broken hearts. Fill us again and, and restore us more and more into the image of your Son. We ask that for Jesus' sake.